Now, I've already spoken at length on uh, the book of Daniel chapter 7, but there are cutouts that I want to take and highlight because of how consistent they are with other prophetic scriptures that we have already looked at. So I want to pull together uh, three prophetic scriptures, uh, one from here in Daniel 7, uh, one from the book of Ezekiel, the first chapter, and one from the book of Revelation, the first chapter. These all speak of the judgments of God, the final judgments of God against the, the, against the devil and against the constructs of the devil that wage war against the saints. War is an ongoing thing since the, since the actually before the Garden of Eden, there was war in heaven. In that war, Jesus referred to it this way in the book of Luke when He sends out His disciples. He says, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. Now three heavens were created. On the the third day when God created uh, the heavens, uh, in the narrative of Genesis 1, we know the heavens did not exist eternally because it says, in the beginning God created, created what? The heavens and the earth. So the heavens were created, says so plainly. So anyone who says the heavens are eternal is not basing, basing that conclusion on Scripture because anything that is created has an end to it. The only thing that was, cre- that was not created was the spirit of man. The body of man was created, that's why it dies, but the spirit of man was an endowment from God, that's why it returns to God who gave it. Now, in the creation of the heavens, God established three heavens. The lowest of the three is the visible heavens, the one containing the sun, the moon, and the stars. The second, or the medium heaven, is the one that Ephesians refers to in chapter 6 as the seat of the demonic, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now we see an example of the conflict, we see an example of how the demonic engages the second heavens. When the angel Gabriel was sent to speak to to Daniel um, in the book of uh, Daniel and Daniel, uh, Gabriel tells Daniel and Daniel records that on his way from the third heaven, which is where the throne of God is, where the Lamb is, and where the pre-existent Christ is, seated on the throne, 
when he was coming, the prince of Persia detained him for 21 days, 21 earth days. And Michael, the great angel, came to his aid and knocked down the prince of Persia. And he said, and when I return, since there's a change in in the demonic structure of the second heavens, I'll encounter a new uh, adversary who has taken the place of the prince of Persia, and that is the prince of Greece. And in human history, Greece replaced the, the Persian Empire. So there are three heavens. John was caught up to the third heavens when he beheld the throne of God and he recorded it in the book of Revelation, the fourth chapter. And Paul, speaking of of his own experience, talks about how he knew a man 14 years ago, whether he was in the spirit or, or, or not in the spirit, he could not say, but he was caught up to the third heaven. So the second of the heavens is the seat of the demonic. The third of the heavens is the highest heavens and the visible heavens are the heavens above the earth. So the things that occur in in between the first heaven, which is the earth, if you want to look at it from the lowest to the highest, um, that and the things that happen in the second heavens that that bear directly upon the earth, such as who the rulers on the earth are, when one is deposed, when a human ruler is deposed, who replaces him in in the earth but as it relates to the demonic structure of the second heavens. And then there's the third heavens where God rules supremely over all the, the heavens and the earth, which is why Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Throughout the heavens and upon the earth, I am the sovereign ruler. Now, the second heavens is the place of the demonic. And when Daniel continued to speak, he said, I watched till thrones were put, this is verse 9 of Daniel 7, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, Ten, a thousand thousands ministered to him, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him, and the court was seated and the books were opened." Now, I'll come back to that, but look at Ezekiel 1 and you'll see some great similarities. He said, and he tells the time, Ezekiel does, the the time and date, when he was among the captives by the river Chabah. Now, by the way, when when Ezekiel was writing this, he was writing from a vision that he had seen. He would later accompany uh, the second wave of captives to be taken into Babylon. 
the first wave was taken and, uh, and Ezekiel began to prophesy of a second wave, warning Israel that if it did not change, it was going to be taken into captivity. It is in that, that series of visions that he saw the glory of God departing from the temple and moving to be upon the four living creatures. But this is how he describes the four living creatures who carry the glory of God. Then I looked and behold a whirlwind coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself, much like the throne of God is spoken of, and brightness was all around, around it and radiating out of the midst like the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. And also from within the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. Each had the likeness of a man, had four faces and had four wings, the legs were straight, soles of their feet were like calves' feet, sparkled like bronze, the hands of a man were under the wings of their four, on their four sides, and each of the four had four faces, uh, and so on. And so he describes the four living creatures. Um, as for the likeness of the faces, he said, each had the face of a man, each had four faces, the face of a lion on the right side, had four faces, the face of an ox on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle, and thus were their faces. And then he, he continues to talk about how uh, these, the, the creatures had wings and wheels, and the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. And then he brings us to the place where, uh, uh, verse 26, where he says, as these creatures were moving back and forth uh, on the earth, and above the head, above the firmament over their heads, was the likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone, and on the likeness of the throne was a likeness like the appearance of a man high above it, and also from the appearance of his waist and upward I saw, as it were, the color of amber and so on, um, and I saw as it were the appearance of fire and brightness all around the throne, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, so, was, so when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking." So in Daniel he said uh, that he, as, as Daniel describes uh, the, the, the throne of God, he said, I watched as thrones were put in place, this is Daniel 7 verse 9 and following, where I just read. And he describes the Ancient of Days as being seated, his garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool, his throne was a fiery flame, like wheels 
a burning fire, a stream of fire or a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him and then all these angels ministered to him. And then over in the book of Revelation uh, in chapter 1, he is described in his appearance as, I am the Alpha and Omega who was and is and is to come. And uh, in, in the continuing description of him, it is said, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and as I turned he saw the seven golden lampstands and one like the Son of Man uh, who was clothed with a garment down to his feet, uh, girded about with a golden band, his hair, his head and his hair white like snow and white as were white like wool and white as snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet like fine brass as if refined in the, in the furnace and his voice like the sound of many waters. And he said, John said, when I, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. So in all of this, in the appearance there is the majesty and glory of God in the midst of the speakings about that which opposes the sons of God. Needless to say, in the book of Daniel, as we go on from chapter 7, what becomes quite obvious is the fact that judgment is granted on behalf of the saints. Here's, here's what happens after he sees the, the fiery stream and the throne of God. I was, as I was watching in the night visions, behold one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now Daniel revisited this beast with seven heads and ten horns and he says, one of the horns which had eyes and a mouth spoke pompous words and his appearance was greater than his fellows and he was making war against the saints until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Now at the end of, the, of, this, uh, of, of the end of this prophetic speech, it says, and the saints, the court was seated and judgment was given to the saints and they shall take away the dominion, the authority to rule, to consume and to destroy it forever 
this beast, this fourth beast with seven heads and ten horns. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed and I kept the matter in my heart. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you that I went to the end of the matter even while we are prosecuting it from the beginning of the matter. Because in the end of the matter, no matter how powerful this fourth beast is with its seven heads and ten horns and we're deconstructing it, we're understanding what it is from Scripture because it's a kingdom, that much is clear and obvious. Um, Whatever this kingdom is with its seven heads and ten horns and the little horn that comes up that speaks blasphemously against the Most High and makes war against the saints, Whatever all of that is, the God of heaven calls it into judgment and delivers judgment into the hands of the saints or delivers judgment on behalf of the saints and strips this kingdom of all of its power, all of its pomp, all of its arrogance, and all of its weight and and, uh, effectiveness, destroys it, destroys it. And what's left is the Kingdom of God and the saints possessing all authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. That's what's left. Now, when we go then to the book of Revelation where we had been before in chapter 12, and we're looking at this dragon with seven heads and ten horns that makes war against the woman who appears and in labor pains. When we go to that, we're simply moving to the end of the story the same story that we just read in the book of Daniel. So he says in verse 2, after describing the woman clothed with the sun, etc. And again, I'm not unpacking that just now because I want to focus on what is exactly the description of the beast, what is it? What is it because in between where we are now and the glorious triumph of the saints, is our war with the beast, alright? Now again I remind you that this beast originally showed up in the garden as the serpent. As it moves through history it becomes more sophisticated, but it always wages war against the saints. What we went to was the conclusion of that war, and in the conclusion of the war, judgment is given 
in favor of the saints against the beast and it's stripped of all of its authority, stripped of all of its power and whatever authority and power it had was given to the saints, right? That, that's the nutshell of this, of this matter. So as we go forward, then being with child, verse 2, Revelation 12, she cried out in labor and in the pains of childbirth. Obviously, we're not talking here about a woman, we're not talking about a child coming out of the womb and that form of labor pains, we're talking about what Jesus described in Matthew 24 as the beginnings of sorrows, but the end is not yet. Listen, by analogizing to labor pains, in Matthew 24, Jesus is meaning to tell us this simple truth that where labor pains are concerned, there are no labor pains apart from something being born. Otherwise, you could call it a headache or a backache, or a toothache, or you could call it distress in, and name what part of the body you think uh, distress might be, but labor pains is a term of art. It means something is about to be born. Connect that scripture with this one, a woman in labor. What is about to be born? What is about to be born? It is the thing that the earth has been groaning in anticipation of seeing, the coming forth of the mature sons of God. That's why God set the whole thing up, that a man might come forth in the image and likeness of God the Son who carries the radiance of His Father's glory, the Son who in representation presents the Father as He is. In the words and language of Jesus, if you've seen Me, you have seen My Father. So although these scriptures seem to be so opaque, as I said in the previous broadcast, they're in fact not opaque because they're being spoken to and spoken about throughout all the scriptures. The mistake we make is when we create new paradigms for understanding these things. They're consistent with what all of scripture has spoken to. Uh, you, you, see, um, you see people desperately trying to create new paradigms. Preachers, uh, end time prophecy preachers, commonly try to create new paradigms and usually these new paradigms for understanding prophetic scripture are purely domestic paradigms. What do I mean? They analogize to potential developments among the nations of mankind. 
as opposed to the invisible conflicts coming into clarity of view and the actors behind this conflict are the old and ancient actors. On the one hand, the Ancient of Days, the Lord Jesus Christ in His, uh, in his preeminent and original uh, nature coming forth, being carried as it were in the corporate man to reveal the glory of God. The devil and Satan, that ancient serpent, coming forth to oppose him as he's always done. And and the final piece of this is the inevitable, the triumph of the ever-living God, the eternal God, over the enemy, a foregone conclusion inasmuch as the enemy is a created being. All angels are created and they were created to serve the saints. Rebellious servants, in whatever form their rebellions take, are ultimately going to be put down. Now, in whatever form their rebellion takes are the operative terms. Originally in the Garden of Eden, their form took on a lie and that lie was an appeal to an element of the soul, the soul of Adam, the soul of Eve, that could be stirred up and put at odds with the spirit. That element is called a lust, a lust. And that particular lust was the lust of the eyes. The desire, since since the fruit on the tree was desirable to make one, it was pleasing to the eyes. So there was a vision. And then the other lust was the pride of life. It was desirable to make them wise. And the enemy threw in the fact that God knew, he said to to Adam and Eve, that if you ate of the tree, your eyes will be opened, you will know good and evil, and you'll live forever. So the pride of life. Or the, the lust of the flesh, you'll live forever. The lust of the eyes, desirable and pleasing. And the pride of life, uh, it'll make you wise. Against mankind, these three lusts were discovered early. And the enemy proceeded to build an alternative reality 
called the cosmos based on these three lusts. The design is a marvel of deception because it is designed to attract the human on a one-to-one basis of the desires within the soul, which desires, if not under the rule of the spirit, makes the human vulnerable to the schemes of the devil. So as we continue to view the, the nature of this beast, we'll see it as having an appeal to humans on the basis of the lust within the soul. And that's where I want to continue. I'm Sam Solon, I'll see you next time.